Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club podcast. Thank you for bearing with us during this time of strife. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and sitting next to me... This is Michael Myers Rothman. And we are representing the Losers Club today, live at the Music Box Theater for Greetings. Yes! Yeah! We have a lovely... We have a great audience here. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. We have a lovely, uh, passionate, and patient audience here with us today. I don't think you need to make fake crowd noises, Evan. Uh, we've, got, we've already got this amazing loud crowd. Uh, we are here at the Music Box Theater with Greetings from Castle Rock, a Stephen King film festival that we put together. It's been awesome. We've already seen Stand By Me, Cujo, Creepshow, Shawshank Redemption, Dead Zone. It's been, and that's it. <laughs> that's it so far. That's it so far. But yeah. uh, tonight we've got some more cool movies, and we're here to talk about King and talk about our favorite King movies and other fun things. And joining us today, we have some esteemed guests sitting directly to my left. Who are you, and why are you on a Stephen King podcast? Uh, my name is Billy Hansen. I'm a writer-director, and uh, a few years back, I did an adaptation of Stephen King's short story, Survivor Type. And Clap uh, for that. Clap. Clap! <laughs> Terrifying story, yeah. and great film. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, that's kind of been, I've been taking the film around uh, to a lot of different places, a lot of festivals, and... Uh, yeah, I feel like there's not really a better place to show it than the Stephen King Festival. And you're underselling yes. yourself a little bit, because where are you from originally? Uh, oh, I, I'm from Maine originally. Yeah. 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 Nice. <laughs> and, King's uh, Dominion. <laughs> he's part of, he's part of he the is, King Expanded Universe. Which book you were you in? You may have seen me in the background of some of these movies. <laughs> you are, yeah. You're always waving. You're like, hey, Gordy. Yeah. And who is sitting next to you? Why are you on a, who are you? Why are you on a Stephen King podcast? Uh, my name is Evan Weiss, and honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> yes, you I do. Have no clue why I'm here. Yes, I, you do. I've made the joke a couple times since getting here that I'm America's... Uh, leading non-authority in Stephen King. Oh, wow. But, awesome. um, I, I do play in a band here from Chicago called Pet Symmetry. Yes. And, uh, and there have been a, uh, we have played into a series of jokes revolving around Stephen King. And aside from that, just being a, a casual movie lover and a yes. uh, total goofball. I think I'm here for the comic relief section of the podcast today. <laughs> and, um, We're bringing and back actually, comic I'm relief, very, actually. I'm very happy that the Losers Club was able to find two people that look exactly the fucking same. I know! I was going to say! <laughs> I, did. I really appreciate cool. that you guys <laughs> went out of your way to make sure that the bearded white guy contingent was yeah. fully represented well, well, we with were, baseball we were <laughs> well, On my checklist, I was like, I want to look, look for Rob Reiner from This Is Spinal Tap. Like, specifically <laughs> yeah. what I'm looking for right now. Nailed nailed it, right? Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit, though. What was one of the things we love to do on the podcast is talk about, like, because I feel like any Stephen King fan not any, a lot of Stephen King fans, we had our first encounters with Stephen King when we were young, and that's why it really burned itself into kind of our psyche and, and, and just our taste in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. So, uh, Billy, why don't you tell us the first time that you encountered Stephen King? Like, did you grow up with it, or was it something you discovered later in life? I can tell you about the first time I literally encountered Stephen King. Oh, shit. He has, behind his house in Bangor, Maine, uh, there's a baseball field that he built for, like, Little League and stuff. Uh-huh. And I was there playing with my family one day, and I like, went into this little stadium to go to the bathroom, and he came out of the bathroom and just held the door for me. And I already <laughs> knew who he was at that point, because I had read like, some of his stuff, and I just kind of walked in the bathroom like, oh my god, Stephen King. <laughs> like, stranger danger. No, I'm just trying. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, what, was, what was the first King book you read? The first, I guess that's a more appropriate question. Yeah, no, I no. like that story, though. Um, I think the first one I read... Uh, it may have been Cycle of the Werewolf. Oh, Ooh, wow. Because yeah. it, I was, like, really young. I was probably, like, 10-ish, and I was like, oh, it has pictures and stuff. Great. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a dude getting his face ripped off. Okay, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that was the first one that I was like, oh, this is, like, cool and edgy and... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, being from Maine and, like, I've known I wanted to be a writer and, like, storyteller for a long time, so he's 
I mean, he's been in my perspective always. Like, yeah. yeah. My peripherals always. And uh, yeah, so I kind of grew up on him a little bit. Did, nice. you, did you go like outside his house and, you know, in there's, Bangor? Yeah, just... there's a picture of me at like age 12, just like giving a thumbs up in front of his like spider web gate outside of his house. <laughs> oh, did you try to become friends with like, you know, Joe or Owen? <laughs> oh, like, they're hey, my, why don't you come over and play friends, Nintendo? Yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> really? Okay. Like, let's go to Blockbuster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell them to let us interview Stephen King. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> this will be the endless, the endless uh, journey of this podcast is yeah. just please God let us interview you. <laughs> I, I love how when we first reached out to try to get King when he was, was doing, I think it was uh, Gwendy's Button Box last yeah. year, we were, you know, we were saying, hey, is it possible? We're like, look, we're doing a podcast. If we get 45 minutes, and then we were like, 30 minutes, and then 25, and then can we get five minutes? Can we Stephen shake King? his hand? Just, we, just five minutes. <laughs> can we just great. look at him from across the room? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Evan, I know that you're not the leading Stephen King authority here, but when did you first, in, what is your earliest Stephen King memory? Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey. And uh -huh. my, uh, my best friend at the time was this, uh, this guy, he's still my best friend, his name is Mike McNeilis, and we grew up together, played in bands together. Um, and I remember being like five or six and like was first meeting like second or third grade and going to their house and um, play, like, you know, having like playtime, you know, you're hanging out with your friends at their house. My dad meets his dad for the very first time, and we're on the car ride home going back, and my dad's like, man, he looks just like Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember getting home and being like, I was like, Stephen King. And, uh, <laughs> and we got back to my house, and my dad pulled out a copy of Misery that he'd had and showed me the photo in the back of the book, and that really does look like Mike's dad. That was my first encounter. <laughs> is, that, is that the one where he kind of looks like someone caught him like after he did something like go to the bathroom or maybe like masturbate? He's like a little stunned, you know? Like, author <laughs> 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 Stephen King in his own house. Do you remember like, the first Stephen King movie you ever saw? The first Stephen King movie I ever saw was I, I, uh, It, which yeah? is like usually everybody's first like, yeah. You know, and I didn't had I didn't have the same experience that everybody else had, where they were terrified of clowns. I actually was like pretty psyched on clowns. And I don't know what that I don't know what psyched that says about me as a child, really. But you know, I, I think I turned out okay. But there, later, uh, the first love was um, seeing the Shawshank Redemption for the first time. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of journey movies in general, and that, in my opinion, is not only the, my favorite movie ever of all time, but definitely the greatest journey movie of all time. Yeah. And, um, I thought the best Journey movie of all time is Caddyshack, when you like, they play uh, Any Way we all, You Want It with well, uh, Ronnie Jade. Well, they don't show him going up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best Kenny like, Rogers oh, movie hey, of all yeah. time. Oh, yes. hey, <laughs> yeah. um, Well, uh, Billy, I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got working on Survivor Type. Why did you choose that story specifically? Uh, so I was, this was, uh, I think, 2011, 2012, and I was just kind of looking for something to make, to be able to make on my own. And Survivor Type somehow was a story that like slipped by me forever. And I, you know, I read all, all the Stephen King stuff that I can, but somehow someone was telling me that story. I was like, I don't think I've read that. So I looked it up and it like knocked me on my ass. Yeah, let's yeah. take a moment to, if, if anyone doesn't know Survivor Type, how would you, what is your like elevator pitch for that story? Um, a guy is shipwrecked on an island and is forced to eat parts of himself to stay alive. Yeah, nice. <laughs> pretty much, pretty yeah, much. Nice. And it's and, a gnarly story. I thought and about doing that on my couch. Like, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> hanging out at home No, they have work, Postmates like, uh, now. They have Postmates. Yeah, yeah, what what, would, you, what would be I'm your first body part? Like, would you <laughs> yeah. eat your foot first or your I leg? I like the toes have to go, for, I mean, just Toes would be good. Toes are like, little chicken nuggets <laughs> yeah little yeah. nugs with a little like honey mustard sauce and so stuff. um so you settled on that one i yeah i i settled on that story and then uh i looked it up uh to see if it was a dollar baby project and yeah just to clarify what dollar baby projects are if anyone doesn't know uh stephen king offers a deal for stories that have not yet been licensed for tv or movies and offers them to starting out filmmakers or student filmmakers for one dollar and that gives you rights to screen it at festivals, well, to produce it, and then yeah. screen it at festivals and kind of get it out. Um, and so it was one of those projects, and uh, that I kind of just went from there. And I said, all right, this is the next thing I'm doing. And we did it. And yeah. Where did you find a desert island? Uh, Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> did you really go to Malibu? That's great. Yeah, it was in, it was in Malibu, just off the coast. Uh, there's, there's actually, we didn't go out onto an island. We found a little rock that sort of juts far enough out into the water that you can shoot on three different sides of it and kind of make it look like it's just this tiny little island in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. I, um, and then, Evan, so you just released an EP yeah. with Pet Symmetry. Right. Three-song EP. It's 
excellent. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. And the third song is a cover of the Ramones' Pet Cemetery. Right. So what was it that, obviously it's a nod to the name, but why did you decide to cover that song now? Um, we had done spoofs on, obviously when you have a name like Pet Cemetery, you obviously have to take the end of the account that there is the movie, which we do keep a copy of the book on the dashboard of the van at all times. <laughs> um, nice. We read it every once in a while out loud to each other on a long drive. We've made a t-shirt that was the cover of the book, and it says, uh, sometimes bed is better. <laughs> bed. Um, but nice. we also are huge Ramones fans, and I don't know if you've heard the Ramones version of Pet Cemetery but it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's what I call like disco Ramones. It's yeah. like yeah. really mid-tempo and slow and, and um, we kind of had this ongoing joke for a while where we created this fourth character of, uh, of Pet Sim, which, whose name was Baloney. But he was like Baloney Ramon, which Baloney Ramon was like the lost Ramones brother. And he was the dude that, he was never in the band, but he was like the guy, that, he was like the cousin that was always hanging out and that would like mess up, you know, like, Oh, so oh, baloney crashed the van again, and it's like, oh, sorry, it's me baloney, you know. So we've had this long-running thing about the Ramones, this long-running thing about that song and that and that book and the movie, and and um, you know, and so we thought it was time to to do the cover, but do the cover in the way that we wanted to hear it, which was in the style of like the self-titled or Rocket to Russia, like kind of give it that same exact punk feel. And um, so we listened very carefully to uh, you know those recordings and did our best to mimic them. And then originally it was going to be a uh, on a split record with our friends who play in this band called Rat Boys. Yeah. And so um, what I really wanted to do was have them cover or have us cover Pet Cemetery and have Julia sing Pet Cemetery, and then have them cover Return of the Rat by the Wipers and oh, have nice. me sing Return of the Rat. And um, for whatever reason, the record label contract they were in just was like kind of prohibiting them from doing another EP. And we still really wanted to do it. So we recorded it anyway and asked Julia if she was comfortable singing, and she was awesome. And then uh, last year we did a tour together where um, we would play that song last, and Julia would come up on stage oh, and sing nice. Cemetery with us. Um, have, you, have you seen the music video for the Ramones? Uh, oh, cemetery? Where, my favorite part is when he's like, Did you know? <laughs> and he's like talking about the, the club being on top of an Indian burial ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they play Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Like, it's like, are you it's, serious, dude? It's so bad. We, we actually, I actually found a cut for the, the pre-show here later tonight, which is uh, going to be playing right before the movie. And it's, yeah, it's just, it, and they look so bored. It's so comical. Yeah. And, like, and even when you watch live videos of it, though, they play it fast. Yeah, They yeah. play it the way, like, you really want to hear it. And so I don't know whose decision it was to slow it down by, like, 100 BPM sure. or whatever it is. But, yeah, I think our cover is a lot cooler. I love it. Uh, how did you end up on the name Pet Symmetry? We ended up on the name Pet Symmetry as a kind of a joke. Sure. Right? Um, if you're familiar with the band, it's me and my buddy Marcus, my buddy Eric, and the three of us all kind of look the same. We're about six foot two. We all have glasses. Can I join We're the all, band? Yeah, you literally <laughs> could be in. And nice. you know, we've had we've had friends fill in on things like the horn, or you know, like come out and play. And they have to. There's like a prerequisite. They have to wear the matching shirt, and they have to have the glasses <laughs> on. You know, there's a whole shtick, and it's it's totally just an excuse for the three of us to goof off. Yeah. Um, but the idea initially came from. Um, uh, I have a, we have a mutual friend named Chris Farron. Chris Farron was in a band called Fake Problems for a long time, and now he tours oh, under yeah. his own name. Um, he was another friend of ours uh, who is very famous now named Frank Turner, ah. was uh, posting on Facebook about how he needed to find a new band name. And Chris Farron posted on his thread with like 15 <laughs> awesome band names in a row. And I remember we were getting ready to start this band, and I, was, and I saw Pet Symmetry and then band names, and I was like, man, I don't know if Frank's going to take this name. And I, I hit up Frank, and I was like, Frank, are you going to take this name? He's like, no, nah, I, I bloody bollocks, I don't want it. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then I hit up Chris, and I was like, Chris, if you're not going to use this, like, can, can I use this for a new band that we're starting? And um, Chris was like, yeah, absolutely, but you have to thank me in every record you ever do ever again. <laughs> and so not only did we do that, when we made our first LP, which we called uh, Pets Hounds, yeah, like dogs, petting <laughs> hound dogs, Pets Hounds. Um, we put Chris on the cover, and it was he. We were like, Chris, we really want you on the cover with two hound dogs. And he's like, I'll, he's like, I'll do you one better. And he had his mom, who's a portrait photographer in Florida, get together. They rented hound dogs, and then it's Chris in a in a tweed suit with sunglasses on and two hound dogs, and they like sent us like. 700 photographs of him in like <laughs> different poses with these dogs. We had like a, an endless supply of Farron hound dog content 
to choose from for the cover of this record. And Amazing. So that, you know, it's, it's been immortalized. It's kind of crazy how a small world this is. We opened for, well, full disclosure, like Bill and I used to be in bands in college, and we actually opened for Fake Problems once. They, they played down in, uh, in Tallahassee, That's which kind is of amazing. It's kind of crazy that it's a little small world like yeah. that. I did not know that. That's yeah. very they're, exciting. They were so just budding, and we just, they were like blowing up at the time. It was just, yeah. uh, it was kind of like, wow. That's, and they were really, they're, they're pretty, I feel like they're just maybe a couple years younger than us or something like that. But it was just like, they were like, I remember coming, them coming in and just like him having this crazy fucking energy. And we were just like, all right, this is, we're kind of intimidated by it. We were like, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of bring this. These yeah. kids are going to totally whoop our asses. Um, so this being a Castle Rock festival, we'd love to talk a little bit about small towns. Uh, because I think that small towns sort of set a unique stage for horror. And I think that we see that a lot in modern horror mm -hmm. and just in I don't know I feel like it's it's the like you think about like Shirley Jackson and the lottery and stuff like that just this whole idea of like Twitter. a community and Twitter yeah, that's basically <laughs> Twitter the lottery is the now. ultimate horror movie yeah. but um we'd love to I guess like like why do you like do you guys have any experiences in small towns that uh that kind of to you served as your own little mini horror movie like I'll start I'll say that my wife is from a t <laughs> she's here. Um, <laughs> my wife is from a small. <laughs> my wife's from a small Indiana town called Clinton, and it is, it is like not like I always try to tell people. I'm like, it's not a cute town. It's kind of a meth town. <laughs> like it's kind of that. Oh, that is cute though. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like I'll always remember. Like, you know, like, because my wife follows, like, the Facebook group for the town, you know? The and meth so, town? The meth well, group? Or? Well, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like, basically where everyone congregates to talk about what's going on in the town. And, um, and so the strangest little stories will appear from there. But, like, man, there was one that's, like, straight out of, like, a pure horror novel where basically this family had kept their, they lived in such filth and degradation that their kids basically turned genuinely feral. And um, they like- Like Cujo? Yeah, like literally it was, they were raising a litter of Cujos. Oh, wow. And it was absolutely terrifying. And the reason, and I remember, I like professional wrestling, I'm wearing a professional wrestling shirt. I just always remember my wife going, hey, you have something, because she found the guy on Facebook who like was running this house, and he liked the wrestler Roman Reigns on, oh, nice. on Facebook. And I remember her going, hey, got something in common. <laughs> oh, this like random I, guy. It's like I would live in squalor and raise little Cujos, I yeah. swear to God. Yeah. But uh, Evan, you were mentioning that you spent some time in a, Ver in a cabin in Vermont and you had some spooky experiences and I'd love to hear about I that. I think, uh, yeah, we're, well, actually, really what maybe, uh, what I was really starting to think about when you were telling the stories, I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. And I'm sure, I hope that a lot of people listening and you guys in the audience know about weird New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> Yeah. It is just as weird as you would suspect. They made a whole 52-book series based on weird New Jersey. Like, they, <laughs> like the other states felt left out, and they needed their own weird books. But I grew up 15 minutes from the Jersey Devil, from the Echo oh, Ghost, from shit. the Blue Lake, the Blue Hole, the, the, like, whatever, you know, there's the, there was a bridge, you know, in my town that was a haunted bridge. And, yeah. and these were all things that we would chase as teenagers and try to find, which really just means, like, you're, you know driving around in a hot boxed car with <laughs> buddies yeah. and like, you know, spooking yourselves out a little bit like, oh, did you see that? <laughs> you know, but, um, but in Crafts, I was, so I was in Craftsbury, Vermont and I was there for a month with my friend Josh and it was just the two of us in this cabin and we were, it was uh, January 1st to February 1st of 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, we were all alone. There's four feet of snow in every direction surrounding the house. The only way to get out is with a four by four kind of like, not an ATV, but like a, a serious truck. And we didn't have that. I had my, you know, Dodge 3500 van with two wheel drive and it's, you're stuck no matter what you're doing. Um, <laughs> Did one of you have like the shine to call like Scatman Crothers? <laughs> like, you know, we're there, we're there for a month without <laughs> leaving, you know, and it definitely did, you know, become like all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Oh, nice. You're like sitting there like smashing away at a typewriter. And, um, but, you know, there were moments where, you know, there's bumps in the night and there's, you know, gusts of wind and you see light in the distance that like, yo, I know there's nobody for miles around. How could there possibly be light at four in the morning coming through the trees, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, you know, it's nothing. Yeah. But the first thing you think about is, like... Is the Tommy knock? Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, someone's going to slit my throat, and that's the end of, yeah. that's the, end of me here in Crossbury. Nobody will ever know, you know? Oh, man, that's fascinating. Well, well, uh, what do you got? Well, basically, I mean, the, the conceit would be, like, you know, the, the idea that small towns kind of, you know, 
warrant these type of stories almost. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I, like there's very rarely that you get like city set stories yeah. with it's like spooky stuff. That I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. yeah. Ever, a lot of people grew up in a small town and yeah. a lot of people have interesting stories about those towns and it's way easier to be in a situation where you know everybody in yeah. a small town and mm-hmm. what everybody's doing as opposed to in a big city where it's just kind of fast and go and yeah. nameless and but, tasteless. And you don't yeah. notice a lot of and stuff. And also kind of the idea, like if, if it's even not even a small town, but like if your house is kind of like separated from the rest, like I'm going to keep talking about my wife on this podcast, <laughs> but like I tried to show her the horror movie Year Next, which I think yeah. is excellent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she couldn't, it was tough for her because like, you know, arrows are coming through windows in that movie. And she's like, I had a big picture window that looked into a forest when I was growing up and I was terrified of like, that something like that would happen. Mm-hmm. Like, that something would come out of the forest, you know? And I used, I used to, like, you know, duck under the window when I would go by it, you know? And it's like, and I totally relate with that. And so, uh, but Billy, you grew up in Maine. I did. Tell me about the town you grew up in. So I kind of grew up all over Maine. I was born um, in Aroostook County, which is, like, the northernmost part of Maine. So it's all, like, potato fields and farms and that. How many, how many miles from uh, Salem's lot is that? <laughs> uh, about 100. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's, and, and that's where a lot of my family's from. It's very French-Canadian. Um, and then when I was about 12 or 13, I moved to just outside of Portland in a ta- uh, to a town called Old Orchard Beach, which actually Stephen King talks about in a couple of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, very, it's a very weird town because it's, uh, a tourist town. They have like a permanent carnival downtown, and like yeah, because I think that's in the stand. I think that's I think where they where. Um, I think it's in the stand. I think it's in thinner. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of cable net sweaters. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but like, the, I think one of the reasons that I find Stephen King stuff so like just visceral is because those towns, like, it's exactly as he described. Like, it, it's kind of everyone is very innocuous. You kind of know everybody, and you don't think too much about it. But then, like, there's this really dark underbelly sometimes. And you, you don't see it unless you really look. Mm-hmm. And, like, for example, Old Orchard Beach, that permanent carnival. When I was a kid, I mean, there are... When I was there, it was like 8,000 people year-round and then 150,000 people in the summer. Yeah. So it was this God. insane, <laughs> crazy change. Uh, but everyone's, like, delighted and having fun, and it's so great. Um, but then... After I left, they busted like a massive drug ring wow. that was like through the carnival and stuff. Yeah. And so, and a lot of my friends, a lot of people I knew, like were involved in this like violent drug business, and no one really knew. And so there is just this like sense. Maybe I read too much Stephen King when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah. But like, there was this sense just walking around, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he could have murdered someone. I yeah. don't know. I feel like typically people associate cities with crime. And yeah, that's, you yeah. Know, that's a common conception for most of time here in the United yeah. States. And yeah. Furthermore, and like small town, it seems so much scarier for people to have this like friendly and welcoming thing, but also really have a dark side. Right. Yeah. Well, it's such a microcosm for like all storytelling. I mean, like think about like some of the most major filmmakers of the past like thirty or forty years. I mean, like Halloween is the you know Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah. You have like even in Blue Velvet. I mean, it's the yeah. small town there yeah. where you, he gets to be able to explore that kind of dark underbelly that yeah. you're talking about and. Um, shout out to my uh, boy David Lynch. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's listening there, definitely. Yeah. yeah. My dad <laughs> called me because I live in LA now, and I, you know, from really small town Maine, lived like a huge city. Mm-hmm. My dad called me. He's like, "Yeah, I'm just worried about you out there." I'm like, "I have never had an issue. Yeah. Where, where's there wood to knock on?" <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You're in you're in LA. Yeah, you got I mean, a fire that's literally coming to you. Avocado toast, yeah. just <laughs> hanging out. Yeah. Everything's great. It's terrific. <laughs> there's no problems at all. Yeah. But uh, my dad called me. He's like, "I'm worried. There's so much crime over there." I'm like, "I haven't had any issues." I've been there over a decade now it's fine and then um he called me like a week later he's like yeah my neighbor murdered her husband and like this horrible thing and she tried to cover it up and it was this whole it was this whole huge thing i'm like well it's the violence well, is everywhere. Well, we went to college in Tallahassee, Florida, which is about the smallest town I've ever been in. Because, um, oh, uh, like my father, I'm a city boy. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I like the city. Uh, you know, Jason takes Manhattan. Uh, oh, Mike, Mike, Mike Rothman takes Mike Manhattan. Takes Manhattan. <laughs> um, but no, I, for me, it was so Tallahassee was a small town. And I got bored with it in about two weeks. But uh, so the four, four years after that was a lot of fun. Uh, but the creepiest, spookiest things and, and like the best urban legends and the, the greatest ghost stories all came from Tallahassee. Like, 
all the stuff that we would hear. I mean, like, yeah. when I first moved there, like, the first thing I heard was, oh, have you heard of Sunland? Like, or Sunland. Yeah. Oh, God, and it was, right. like, this mental hospital that was closed down. And I had, I mean, in Fort Lauderdale and Miami, just, that shit just doesn't exist because they're like, this is great land. Did you, shoot, did you really <laughs> yeah. shoot the werewolf for me? Did you shoot, was it Cycle of the Werewolf? Or, uh, no. <laughs> it was not Cycle of the Werewolf. I wish it was Cycle of the Werewolf. What was yeah. it called so people can find it? Uh, it was called Silver, and I oh, hope yes. you don't find yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you know, it was a really spooky, like, uh, me like mental. It was, it was actually, because it used to be a TV clinic. Yeah. And uh, of course, we watched like Session Nine before we went there at like oh, four in the morning session or something nine, like that, so like good. idiots. And uh, I'm, I'm like. Um, like Eddie Kasbrack, I was just like sitting there. I like we, we stopped at Walmart and I bought like all these like suits and stuff, and I covered my like my whole like body and everything. I'm walking through there just because I'm worried about asbestos and stuff. Sure. And then I threw away everything like afterwards, <laughs> even all my shoes, all this stuff. And then all my friends were just like, "No, let's go back." And they used to throw like birthday parties and stuff in there. <laughs> and then finally they demolished it. But you'd always hear about like crazy stuff happening. It was like a, but even like that building became a microcosm for stories. Like yeah. I heard about cults that were in there. I heard about ghost stories. I heard about, you know, people that would have like, you know, like mass murderers that came in there and killed people. And then you, they'd be like, well, and I'd be like, well, where's the story in the paper? And they're like, well, the paper didn't report on it. And I was like, I don't believe you. And so it was just like <laughs> these weird things that would pop out from there. So like, it's just funny that like when you localize things, in certain and centralized things like King does with like Castle Rock and it's it just it's I feel like maybe it's so much easier to kind of like be a hotbed of stories I mean yeah. even like thinking about like John Carpenter movies they usually tend to be in one location yeah. and like it's just maybe such an easier way to kind of just spiderweb into the other stuff and I don't know I think the small town environment is something that's so easy to lose right now since we're so connected yeah. with the internet but that's why I don't know I'm kind of astounded with like who was Castle Rock because yeah. it's kind of, it, it feels old school, but it's also set in a modern time. Yeah. And I just don't think we have too many small town sort well, of stories Well, we always talk anymore. about the idea of like, well, what King book like wouldn't work anymore? And we're like, well, Salem's Lot because it's, there's this, you know, with cell phones and, and just with like, because that, that town is so isolated mm -hmm. in the book, but it's in, you know, in the modern world, what is isolated anymore? Yeah. Like nothing's isolated yeah. anymore. And that's, I think, sort of, Something that's really interesting, but let's let's uh, let's pivot over and talk about. Speaking of Salem's Lot, although it's not in my top three, we're going to talk about our top three favorite Stephen King horror <laughs> oh, movies. Great seg! Yeah. What a segue! <laughs> I am the king of segs. Uh, so, but let's let's Stephen talk. King. Yeah, let's talk about our top. We're we're here. We're going to all talk about our three favorite Stephen King adaptations. And I think we're, we, I think that there's kind of the interesting thing about King, and this is something I dabbled in, is. We, you can go by quality or you can go by nostalgia, I think. And like obviously when I look on as somebody who works as a film critic, I can look at you know, certain Dream movies catcher. and be like, Dreamcatcher is by far the best. <laughs> yeah, like five stars. <laughs> Uh, sleepwalkers, but no. Um, <laughs> I love that that's been our go-to all weekend. Next round that we do. I'm this, being really mean to sleepwalkers. Yeah. No, um, but yeah, let's let's all go around. Let's do kind of a roundtable and let's do our third favorite and a couple sentences about why it is. Um, can I type the sentences? No. Right. I want you to start though. Uh, I is, have to start. Okay, you don't have to start. All I'll right. start. My third favorite Stephen King film adaptation, and this is one that is. Purely born out of nostalgia is the Stand six-hour miniseries. Love it. Who else is going nice. to clap with me? Thank yeah, you. I'll clap with you on that, one. that is literally the first Stephen King property I ever encountered. We interviewed Mick Garris, and I was too nervous to participate in the interview because I am like, even though he directed Sleepwalkers. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Mick Garris is great though. With like that, that miniseries is pretty badass. So, For I mean, I mean, dude, adapting a 1,200-page book into a six-hour miniseries is a feat in itself. I love, love, love that miniseries. It is something that is like weirdly, bizarrely important to me, uh, mainly because it was my introduction to Stephen King. And you and like so Miguel Ferrer. So. I love Miguel Ferrer, the and I love Miguel you. Not. I love Jamie yeah. Jamie Sheridan as well. Yeah. the flag. That hair. I stand by the hair. I do too. Um, uh, Mike, why don't you jump in? Okay. Well, my third favorite is uh, Screening Tonight, The Mist. Love ah, the mist, nice. uh, I, because I, I love Thomas Jane, mm -hmm. and I will watch Thomas Jane in anything, and I have uh, the Crow City of Angels, uh, where he <laughs> plays, uh, you know, he, he basically masturbates uh, to someone, and uh, then um, uh, the crow comes in and kills him. But I had no idea Tom Jane was I, in I, Crow oh, City well, of Angels. Yeah. Look, I'm a, a, probably the president of the Thomas Jane fan club, so hey, uh, <laughs> listen to our, inter our episode where we interview him. He talks a lot about absinthe. Loves absinthe, but uh, yeah, the, the press tour for Dreamcatcher, which was 
He said insane. Uh, Billy, third favorite Stephen King film adaptation. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. Ooh. Please but do. I genuinely love the Langoliers. Oh shit! Okay. Like, I'm Mike leave. literally took his headphones off. Oh. Please explain yourself. Okay. Because I. <laughs> I saw it when I was really young, and I, even then I was like, this is not good. But, <laughs> like, behind all the, like, the zero budget, behind the terrible effects and stuff. Bronson Pinchot. Pinchot. Some seriously strange performances. <laughs> like, behind all that stuff, there's, like, a really not horrifically told story, and it's, like, a sci-fi mystery. You know, it which, is a unique story. It's a very unique story. And it's, it was Tom Holland that directed it. Yeah, so Tom like, Holland. So you can see there's something in there. And like David Morse is in it. He's an awesome And you actor. love David Morse. I do love David Morse. You're like, your DVD collection when we, we used to like, also live together, it yeah. had like David well, Morse collection. No, no, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no for a while we did. Yeah, we no, also we, dated. Yeah. yeah, we did date. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was I'm a pretty super big deal. Jealous, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it was great. Uh, but yeah, no, you said, I, I think you had like at least like four or five David Morse deep cuts I, I, in the collection. I have bought movies specifically because David Morse is oh, in Like man. The Negotiator, I think he's in that. Or <laughs> Love maybe, Negotiator. Yeah. Uh, a King adaptation. No, just kidding. Uh, Evan, third favorite Stephen King movie. My third favorite is actually Pet Cemetery. Yes. Oh, I, think wow. it has, I think it has everything you'd want. It has a cat. It has a weird looking kid. It's got Herman Munster in it. Yep. It's Checks campy. It's funny. Um, it's got Victor Pascal, also, the greatest part of that movie. I think it also Worst has a really, it has a really really good message which is that's what happens when you move away from Chicago. Amen. Playing to the crowd. Love it. My second favorite King adaptation is a newer one and it is Mike Flanagan's Gerald's right, Game. That's it. When you can watch, which you can watch on Netflix. Thank you. Thank Maybe you. if they have a director's cut you can chop off the last five minutes. Mike movie. hates this movie because he doesn't like the last five minutes which I understand. I don't like it either but I think that movie is an, uh, a brilliant adaptation of an unadaptable story that does really well, and the part where she does the thing, and you all know what I'm talking about, I, my, I was literally sitting, it was like one in the morning, I'm sitting on my couch, and I was screaming at my TV. Yeah. Like, it is one of the most visceral physical effects I've seen on film, and you guys all need to watch it. It is so, so, so good. So, huge, huge fan, and amazing performances. Bruce Greenwood, a uh, friend of the podcast, and that we mention him often. Even friend though of the he's podcast, not, yeah. Even though he's not really in a lot of games. And even though he's not a friend of the podcast, but we, you know, <laughs> we do love him. And I, and I love the idea that he was handpicked by King. He was. He was probably a huge fan of, uh, what was that, uh, 16 Days? Well, or, or no. 13 uh, Days or whatever uh, it is. Bruce Greenwood was, in, was involved with that Bruce Springsteen musical that oh. King was developing. And that's what, so he's just a big Bruce Greenwood fan. By the way, Bruce Greenwood is like 60 years old and he is Looks built great. like a 28-year-old man. Yeah, his body is uh, fantastic. We're very but... jealous of it. Uh, Mike, second favorite Stephen King adaptation. Second favorite, this is going to be hard, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Stephen King's favorite adaptation, The Shining. So, oh. uh, so I'm Stanley actually, Kubrick's I'm version. I'm actually with you. Two birds with one stone. Yeah. That's, that's my second favorite. Love, love, uh, love that movie and uh, because uh, I love my uh, Jack Nicholson. And, Jack Nicholson. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think Stanley Kubrick's a pretty good director. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he kind of, I think right. he knows what he's doing. I think he's right? got he's it got a down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's genuinely frightening. Scariest and, moment. Uh, scariest moment of that movie. Uh, it's so stupid, but it's, uh, it's when Danny is uh, throwing darts. Yeah. And he sees the two twins there, and it's so frightening the fact that the ghosts appear even when everyone is still in the hotel. Yeah. And so for me, that's like, it's the first time you see him. It's just the knowledge of knowing that, like, just out, probably outside of that room, you know, my, my, my favorite, Stuart Ullman, uh, yeah. is talking to you know, the whole family. And they still pop up. And yeah. it just, show, just goes to show that like, the hotel is just so embedded with like, evil and ghosts mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. So I don't know. That, just, that movie terrifies me. When I was editing last week's podcast at like 4 in the morning, uh, they, I was like, trying to find sound cues and listening to the score, the scrapbook scores of Kubrick's. And I literally was scaring myself. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's just very few movies scare me, but that movie just still scares me. score is incredible. Totally, gets me. I totally agree. That for, yeah. like, as I'm, a, I'm a Stephen King poser. No, clear. you are not. But, so, not yeah. <laughs> but uh, the first time I saw The Shining, I think I was 30 years old, which is only like yeah. a few years ago. And I, yeah. for some reason, it just completely missed my movie-going uh, 
habits. And I mm-hmm. see movies. I try to go to movies every single week. It's just I never saw it. I never saw it. I never saw it. Yeah. And you know when you when you don't see something for so long, you're just like, oh, I just I guess I'm just never gonna. See that was it. me with Texas Chainsaw. And, um, and right, it was. Which yeah. is and like, then you I know, saw and it. Eventually and eventually you like, see it, and you're oh, like, holy you're right shit, there. this is this is a legend for a reason. Mm-hmm. And seeing that movie, and you know, and furthermore, like I feel like the older you get, the harder it is to actually get really like totally. shook by yeah. a movie. Totally. And yeah, I, I left that film feeling changed. Yeah. You know, like there the scenes with Lloyd especially yes. really really affected me in a way that's where you know having cabin fever and having worked in situations where you're alone for a very long period of time and how inside your head you can get and how psychological that can get and relating to jack nicholson's character but also furthermore just the visual imagery of the blood coming through the elevator and the uh you know woman in the tub and you know it's just like well there's just this existential dread of that movie that comes strictly from just the sound design like so like earlier this year they they did this uh room 237 pop-up here um at the rookery and that we were Mm -hmm. uh doing with uh heaven malone had put it on everything and we that whole month i just became like so obsessed with the shining like it was like dead of winter and i just kept listening to the score and i remember there was like one point i just had like no sleep for like a few days and i'm walking to the office and like the songs are playing and I'm just like I just noticed that I'm like like literally just like, like this <laughs> as I'm walking to the office and I'm like, all right, I gotta stop doing this. He was I doing nutty close up yeah. Jack Nicholson right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was just carrying like, an axe. Yeah. Yeah, really. Well everyone's like, hey Mike, so where's the where's that report that you have? And I was like, freaking my concentration. No, uh, no, I, Billy, yeah. second favorite uh, King adaptation. I think second favorite, I gotta go with Pet Cemetery. Ooh, love that Pet one. Uh, like I feel like that if you're talking about King's horror. That's the one that scared me the most. Mm. Yeah. It's so visceral and just gross. And I think the movie like really captures the grossness and just the oh. really like totally. shocking tragedy of the book of the like the hero in the book. Well yeah. it nails Zelda. Zelda yeah, which, yeah. I still will have nightmares Ser- about Zelda. Literally the scariest character. Seriously. Yeah. You know, I would have a dream, opinion. like yeah. a recurring dream when I was a kid. And I read Pet Cemetery way too young. Yeah. But <laughs> I had a recurring is, dream where I'd be lying on my on one side. And then I would roll over in my bed, and Zelda was right there on my left side, and I'd oh, wake up immediately. It's hot. I and grew, it was terrifying. I, I remember grew up in a home, too, well, where like, we, my family buried our pets in the backyard. Oh, oh, no. And when you watch that film as a young human, and your pets are actually buried in the yard yeah. of the house that you live in. That's that's a no, little that's that's a little yeah. macabre. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little close. To, New Jersey, we talked about this. Hey, you know, it's it, it's it's weird. Uh, but, what's also crazy about Pet Cemetery is the set design, and this is something we yeah. talked about on our episode. It's yeah. like if you look back, like when we were watching it uh, again when before we were talking to Mary Lambert, where because we, we just like, I rewatched it again and again that week. But like the set design, specifically with uh, Rachel's parents' house is so disorienting and creepy. Like the way that they use the kind of white space, the way that the halls get narrow, and the the Bodero-esque painting of that comes back with Gage with like the the weird, I guess it's supposed to be uh, Zelda when she was younger. Yeah. I, I, and like it's so creepy. It's just I like small little it. things, which is very similar to The Shining. Like it's just like you kind of immerse yourself in that movie and it's just, ooh, there's just something like really chilling about that. You know, I remember um, one of our friends, uh, Jay uh, Ziegler, he used to work at a hotel, and he, that came on at HBO once, and he told me, he was like, I couldn't even like, just watch it alone. It's just like, there's just something evil about yeah. that movie. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's so dark. There's also yeah. something evil about my number one. Oh, what is that? Stephen King adaptation, and that's Stand By Me. I'm just kidding. Oh, there's nothing evil about it. Stand By <laughs> Me is by far my favorite Stephen King adaptation, mm. especially rewatching it last night, just rem- remembering how beautifully and simply and honestly, it captures like yeah. boys, young that's, boys. That's my number one, also. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Uh, it's 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 to me a movie that I think, and I, I think you know, and this is something I was talking about with uh, a couple listeners, but just this whole idea that you watch it as a child and it resonates with you in one way, and then you watch it as an adult and it resonates with you in another way, like a more nostalgic way, a way that you know really speaks to the way that we remember uh, pivotal moments from our childhood and the way that friends kind of come into our lives and disappear. And, you know, when I was young, you know, I imagine the friends that I had at the time who I'm like, well, I'm going to be friends with these people the rest of my life. And I think back to when I was like 12, 13, and I'm don't, I'm not sure I'm close with any of them anymore, you know? And there's something like really like, you know, affecting about that to consider the idea that, uh, you know, we grow up, we, 
we are, you know, it's just like we naturally move in different directions and that's not a bad thing. And it's something that when you're older, you can kind of uh, not resent a person for drifting away from your life. But just remember that you guys had like some good times together. Well, well there's something interesting about just the medium of Stand By Me and Labadi and all is that the fact that it's a story, yeah. you know, and he is telling a story and that's basically what life kind of becomes in the end. Like it's just like little chapters of your life and like, some stories just end, and that involves the characters and the people that are in it. And that's something that, like, rewatching it last night, especially on the big screen, because I'd never seen it on the big screen before, yeah. and it's one of my favorite films. And I, it's the ending specifically, I think, is probably my favorite ending of, like, any movie. Uh, it, just in the sense that, like, I really feel like it lands its, uh, yeah. its themes, its, you know, its feelings and everything. But the, even just the, the, meta, the visual metaphor of seeing um, older Gordy mm -hmm. closing the computer and then just walking away and just the idea that he's just kind of like meditated on a whole of his friends and moved on, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, just, it's beautiful like when you really think about it because I think a lot of the times you know, when we look back on the past, a, a part of us doesn't want to believe that that is over sometimes that mm -hmm. you know you can maybe just call that person and you can kind of go back and and, some, and sometimes you really just can't like it's yeah. just over it's just gonna move on and then in, in, even if you do have that sort of awkward moment and there's a the stop and chat it's just it's, it's never gonna happen yeah um so the idea that you just like put an ending to it and just yeah. appreciate it for what that for what it was that it's that it is a story of your past and it's i don't know i think that's why the the movie is so timeless and resonating it doesn't matter that it's set in the 50s or mm -hmm. that it's set in the 80s when it's with uh, Richard Dreyfuss's uh, role, but so I, I don't know. I think it's going to stick with a lot like kids, you know, for the future. And we were talking about that like last night. There were like twelve-year-olds yeah. there, and like I, yeah. I, I think it's I think and they they seem to dig it also. I mean, they were walking out and they seemed like they were happy. Yeah. I mean, like I think it's something that's going to stick with you know forever. And I don't see that with a lot of stories sure. by Stephen King all the time. Well, I know? think even with, you know, it's like, and that, that just speaks to the way that King can write children so well. I mean, we look at it, and the, I think that we all agree that the best part of the new It adaptation from Andy Muschietti was the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yep. they were just yeah. so well drawn. Yeah. Um, Billy, favorite Stephen King adaptation? I hate to be cliche, but I think it's Shawshank. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and that's where you are? Yeah. I, wow, that's Considering cool. it's a yeah. short story, it's a small book, and, and yeah. the fact that they could turn it into such a beautiful film. Like, have you yeah. read the story? I have. Yeah, and uh, what do you prefer? I prefer the movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. and how come? Darabont did a beautiful job. Thomas Newman's score is unbelievable. Yeah, we, we always uh, talk about this score. We love it. It's like an intro to ambient music, really. It's yeah. It's like beautiful string arrangement. And, um, I mean, Bill, you, I'm sure you could, I hope you agree. It's, it's Yo, absolutely. <laughs> the characters yeah. are unbelievably developed. They're well acted. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. I couldn't yeah. think of a better casting of those roles. Um, What's you know, your, the scene I love that, that you... they're getting it over. Like, I love stories about, uh, you know, overcoming corruption, especially when <laughs> cops are the corruptors. Like, yes. any excuse to get one over on the police, is, I'm like, happy to <laughs> go with that. Um, <laughs> what's, your, what's the scene that always resonates with you when you think back on it? Um, the scene that resonates with me the most, and I, I've probably watched the movie 300 times, yeah. when, when Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins embrace on the beach, yeah. and the camera is panning back, I still cry every time. It's, I, no matter how many times I watch that movie, the way it's the whole vibe and just knowing how the two of them had overcome everything. Yeah. Um, well, one of the best things about just watching people come out of the theater this morning from the screening was literally just seeing like their wet cheeks. Yeah. Like it was, it was like so cool just to see how like the effects of how that movie still affects people. Yeah. So Billy, favorite scene? Uh, I think, I mean, I don't know if I would call it a favorite scene, but I think the scene that affects me the most is when they kill Tommy outside. Oh like, yeah. And, and, they, and they like, they they say he was escaping and like, I just what a perfect example of like a loss of all hope because yeah. he had this one shining glimmer of hope and then they were like yeah we're not gonna do that you're not gonna get out of here I know yeah. and like and also a great sign a great uh, piece of adaptation from Frank Darabont because in the story he just disappears that yeah. character right, right like right, right. they I think that the implication is that he he was moved to a more comfortable prison if he didn't say anything whereas we actually see him uh, get off in the I also I also think movie. it's there's something to be said about the the change in Red's character and, and from the from the book and oh the sure movie, from being know? like a redheaded Irishman yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think that I think when you look Especially with the the relationship with regards to just how society was at the time, mm -hmm. it's like I think there's something to be said 
uh, about like his Red's narrative in the movie versus in the book, and yeah. I think it's far more hard hitting in the in the movie when you actually think about the context of like what his life would be like versus you know over the you know the redhead yeah. guy in like the the book, and I think it's just there's this far more there's just so, so much more at stake and so much more like resonance about his freedom in that in that situation. Yeah. I mean, especially given just the the, the ending in general and, and how like he the adapting to the different times and I think he gets out in like what the, I, we assume it's like in the, the 60s, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I mean, that's it's pretty amazing to like to be able to think about like all the different society changing. And, you know, so I, I know. Well, to wrap things up on this pod, we're going to do a little bit of trivia. We've got some prizes. Um, we've got shirts. We've got posters, we've got all kinds of good stuff. And what we're gonna do is we're going to call on people in the audience and you are going to answer some Stephen King trivia. And if you get it right, we're gonna choose four of you, but you gotta get the trivia right. You need to, um, uh, oh, thanks, thanks, Justo. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have Evan and Billy uh, basically answer a piece of trivia for you. And if they get it right, then you get a prize. So here we go. Um, raise your hand if you think you can get this correct. Who's got, who feels confident in their Stephen King trivia? Raise your hand. You right there. Yes, you. Okay, question. This film is set in Castle Rock even though its source material is not. What's the answer? <laughs> Who does know this one? Raise your hand. This is it. This hard. That's a hard question. Oh, you got someone back there. Oh, you're, you you're don't count, it? Justin. No, okay, great. Okay. <laughs> oh, we got someone back there. Who is it? No, but close. Yes. No, close. We're showing There's it tonight. In the, in the way back. Yes. Yes. What is your name? Yeah. Yes! The person who yelled the like miss. Thomas Jane. <laughs> Blake? Blake? Okay, great. You're up tonight. Uh, who is the first Castle Rock... Oh, wait. I shouldn't be reading it first. Sorry. Uh, these are all Castle Rock questions. Raise your hand. Who thinks they know Stephen King trivia? Uh, Matt. Uh, who is the first Castle Rock resident to visit Leland Gons, Leland Gons Needful Things store? Even if you don't know the name, if you can describe the character. That is an insane question. That is a crazy <laughs> question. These are so hard. <laughs> Who knows it? You up front. No. Yes. Yes. Oh, all right. The child. Uh, what's you your could, name? You could have said little boy, and that would have been any. <laughs> it's Danny Torrance. The, the psychic one. The psychic what's your boy. name? Aaron. Great. Blake and Aaron. What is, okay, sorry, I keep reading the questions. Raise your hand. Who wants to do another one? Yes, you back there. What is the nickname of Chris Chambers' older brother in Stand By Me? <laughs> uh, Matt. Eyeball, boom, Matt, you're up. I want you. All right. uh, one more. We got one more. You back there. Uh, who directed both Cat's Eye and Cujo adaptations? <laughs> All right. Uh... Uh, you right there. Louis Teague, what's your name? Frankie. Okay, we got our four. So uh, this question, Evan is going to be for Blake. If you get this correct, he gets a prize. So the oh, weight is oh, on what's that, you. What kind of prize? Is it All like right. a cool, is it a super cool prize? Or uh, like... You can choose between a poster and a t-shirt back right, at the merch table. Blake, I apologize in advance, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. What oh, is the name of the murderous industrial <laughs> laundry press machine that stars in a Stephen King short story? The murderous laundry press machine? <laughs> Bill. <laughs> Blake, do you know the answer? The Mangler, you get Bill it correct. Gets a prize. Come Blake back gets a prize. to the come back to the merch table Blake, and you will you get a prize. Be, you should be the, the guest on this podcast. <laughs> I, got, I got this one. Okay, Mike's got this one. So uh, Aaron, Bill's gonna answer for you. Mike, go. All right, great. Um, Bill, yes. What is Judd Crandall's wife's name, and what disease does she suffer from? That's a hard oh, question. Man. His wife's name. Uh, Mrs. Crandall. <laughs> <laughs> but what does she suffer from? 
Um, oh my God. Uh, arthritis? Yes! Yes! All right. Uh, We're going to give it to you. Aaron, you get a prize. Come meet us back at the merch table after. What is her actual name? Norma. 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 I want to make it clear, too, that before this podcast, Randall was like, it's cool. I got a couple layups. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yes, 237. I know. This is what we encountered when we did did trivia at the rookery for this room 237. We're Mm -hmm. like, oh, these are easy. Yeah, and they're not. Um, Okay. uh, uh, Who was the third person? What was your name? Yes, Matt. There it is. Matt. uh, Evan, you're going to do this one. What is the name of Larry Underwood's hit song in the stand? Oh, I should know that. <laughs> I gave I you a musical that song. That is actually so, oh no. <laughs> it starts with the word baby, if that helps. <laughs> baby, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you know the name? That's right! Oh, Matt, right. you get a prize. Come it. meet us back at the merch all right, table. All right, all right. Matt. I'm, all right. <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, Frankie, Bill is going to answer right. for you. I got you, Frankie. All right, we're going we're gonna to do uh, a slightly hard one, okay? Oh, you already gave him a really hard one. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that hard. Got yes, it, it was. <laughs> okay, okay, Duh. fine. I'll do something that's easy. Okay. What is Stephen King's middle name? Uh, Edwin. Yep. You got Boom, it. Frankie. Meet us at the merch table. We'll give you a prize. Uh, well, this was so fun. This is a fun time. Evan, thank you so much. Evan is also in a band called Intuit Over It that rules, as thank well you. as Pet Symmetry. Pet Symmetry has a new EP out. What is it called? Reflection. Reflection. Check it out. It's streaming on Spotify and uh, also available. And do you have any shows coming up? We don't. That's okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, when you well, do, see them. <laughs> go see them. Uh, or, if they, or if Pet Symmetry or Intuit Over It is coming through your town, uh, we're going to be showing Survivor Type, uh, Bill's movie, at 6.30 before, so in a little bit, uh, before The Mist tonight at 7. So stick around, watch it. It's excellent. And then watch The Mist. It's going to be fun. Needful Things at 9.30. And, and then uh, Pet Cemetery at midnight. And we just like to say thank you to the Music Box Theater for having us. Yeah, this seriously. Been the this has been the this best time. The best this theater in blast. Chicago. This is, this is like, this is our church. And I've always said that uh, if I die, uh, when, when I die, um, I would like, die. I would like, you know, in the ending of Titanic, when uh, you know she goes when back, when she lets him fall into the water, when she's yeah, on the door, exactly. and doesn't pull him into the water. Why wouldn't she pull him well, on the she, door? When she throws the, the you know the diamond over and screws over Bill Paxton, and then dies and goes back. Spoiler alert, by the way, uh, and, and and then fades away into the Titanic, and then there's hunk uh, DiCaprio at the top of the th- the stairway. That is going. I, I'm hoping that when I die. I go through the doors of the music box, and I'm here. And I was going to say, I had no idea where you were going with and all of this. there's all these David Lynch movies playing here in the theater. <laughs> this is the, my favorite place in the whole world. I love it. This it's been is, great. I love it. Please come back as much as possible. And if you're listening, constant listeners, you got to come to Chicago yeah. and get to the music box. It's great. Evan, thank you. Bill, thank you. Mike, thank you. Thank you, Randall. Thank you. you Rock and Randall Cobra. Why are you Rock and Randall Cobra? Because I love rock and roll, baby. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) thank you guys so much. Uh, Long days and And pleasant pleasant nights. nights. Cheers to that. Thanks, everyone. That was awesome. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.